0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong.
1: Episode six.
0: Alright, so I believe I went first last time, so it's your, your
1: Yes indeed. The excellent. So today I'm gonna be telling the story of the Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure.
0: Okay, so <laughs> we we had lunch the other day. Mm-hmm. And you were basically telling me a story about how you you touched you touched this topic, just sort of brushed past it on your your research for the Toys R Us episode.
1: Yeah, so so uh, while doing research for Toys R Us, I was looking through I think like the Wikipedia page for the enormous Toys R Us flagship store in Times right, Square, right. which is like one of the biggest retail spaces ever created. It had like a life size Barbie dream house and a full Ferris wheel, <laughs> oh and so the the photo that Wikipedia had. Um, for, like, the outside of the store had probably the biggest advertisement I've ever seen for a movie. It was, like, a hundred feet tall. For the Oogie Loves in The Big Balloon Adventure. (laughs) And as soon as I saw that, it sent this, like, rush of memories, like, remembering seeing, like, a crap ton of ads for this movie and just, like, the the bright colors and, like, how I remembered, like, I was confused because, like, I didn't know if this was like based on a show or if this is like a popular children's brand or these characters people know I remembered when when you first mentioned that you were doing
0: this, I remembered hearing the name i yeah I, are they aren't they like mascots they're like big puppets or something
1: yeah, they're like giant mascot looking brightly colored neon characters, but they're not um I don't think they're because it's based on... It's apparently loosely based on a TV show that was canceled after, like, two seasons. But that show was called, like, My Bedbugs or something. This show this, <laughs> These are my
0: bedbugs. So any
1: memory of the Oogie Loves comes from solely from the advertising campaign for this movie. But somehow they were able to drill this word into our heads so that we remember it, but we don't remember anything about it. What the hell? <laughs> so I almost last... Episode I almost switched my topic to the Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure because I just wanted, just out of pure curiosity, to figure out what the heck this was and like why, like how did it, how did the idea like come about? Because usually these giant children's, you know, movies and things that you would see like a hundred foot poster for, it's like, you know, like Elmo's Big Adventure, like the Muppets or something that you like you instantly recognize from your childhood. But, or, like, a show that you know is on Nickelodeon or something. But this is basically, like, just, like, came out of nowhere. So I did I did some digging. And here's my story of the Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure. Okay. Um, uh, the Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure, also referred to as simply the Oogie Loves, is a, or there and back again, is a... T- <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> uh, oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, is a, it's,
0: actually, it's actually a crazy, like, child-friendly remake
1: yeah. of The Hobbit <laughs> um, Big purple yeah. Um Is a 2012 American interactive educational children's musical adventure comedy film based loosely on the short-lived children's television series My Bedbugs, created by Alex Green and Carol Sweeney which I think the show it's based on was from, like, 2003 or something. Okay. Like no one remembers that the show that it's based on. So marketed as an interactive film, the Oogie Love strongly encourages the viewers to sing and dance along to the movie. So, remember, did you ever see uh, Spy Kids 3D in theaters? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, every time you're... They had some scenes that were in 3D, some scenes that were just um, regu- standard. That movie um, was honestly
0: the best use of 3D I've ever seen.
1: Totally. And it had a really clever thing where, like, every time it was... You're supposed to put in your glasses, like, a thing would flash on screen. Like, 3D glasses on now. And I remember I'd get really excited. Right, like, oh, right. it's time for another cool 3D oh, scene. Oh, it's time. Um, so, basically, um, the Oogie Loves try to do something similar. So um, every time animated butterflies would fly across the screen it would be commanding children to stand up and dance. And every time every time that animated turtles would walk across the screen uh, the children would be commanded to sit back down it's time to it's time to stop dancing. <laughs> so no more <laughs> it basically took all like the fun simple thing of like put on your 3D glasses no it's like you have to stand up and dance like it's like a lot more required of children to watch this movie it's like energy intensive yeah
0: (laughs) I, I like the idea that it's like I love the idea that if there wasn't a turtle the children would not stop yeah. dancing <laughs> <Right? Because> children... <laughs> like
1: the guys making this movie are like but children are idiots and yeah. they will not stop dancing unless we tell them to once they start they will go on for years dancing until... <laughs> that's what caused the uh, the great dancing plague of like 1772 yeah. or whatever until you flash the trigger word across the screen right. <laughs> turtles 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 children just like fall back down they, they all deactivate like, yeah. battle droids um <laughs> It's also assuming that children want to listen to the cadence of the movie and and whether or not they want to dance, like, to the movie. Or, like, stand up and it's like, oh, children, it's like, okay, the children see this and now it's time to sit back down. It's like, like, the audience for this film is, like, three to seven years old. Can they read? Yeah, can, can they read, one, and two, if they did, are they going to, like, listen to the movie? Like, children are notorious for not listening. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about these children, but... Especially if they're in a situation where the movie is, like, hyping them up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So the film was released theatrically on August 29th, 2012, and was negatively reviewed by critics. It earned $1,065,907 on a budget of over $20 million. Oh my, what? (laughs) Making it one of the worst box office bombs in film history. That's that's horrific. That's abysmal. And it's not even... That's just the production budget, and apparently the marketing budget was over $40 million. What? <laughs> so it made 1 60th of, <laughs> of its budget. What? Um, the film was nominated for Worst Picture and Worst Screen Ensemble of the 33rd Golden Raspberry Awards, but lost both to Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. Okay,
0: just... Okay, listeners, just so you know, like... <laughs> A movie is not considered successful unless it makes like what double its budget. Yeah, at or least something? I
1: think it's like triple its budget. Oh yeah,
0: especially nowadays. I I yeah. I always learned that the rule of thumb was double your budget. Like, yeah. that's that's and that's like that's like break even. That's like break even for a movie. Right. And usually the mark usually marketing and production are like half of the movie. Yeah. But that's like. Your marketing budget was double what yeah. the movie cost. It was already twenty million dollars,
1: and you made what, like ninety k on this? Or right, whatever? it made one million dollars on that, sixty over sixty million dollars. Oh, oh my god, that is insane! Right, and like the whole point of spending double your budget on marketing is to get an enormous return. Right, because you're assuming that you're gonna that's gonna pay off, and that's why you get a hundred foot posters on the flagship Toys R Us store. Right, and because those things cost a, like a crap ton of money, and it just failed miserably so um before i i'm just gonna play the trailer for the Loves. okay okay um, we'll we'll link the, we'll link this to the yeah. podcast somehow um i just want you to hear this because it's not it, it's just not like anything else that I, i've ever heard okay <laughs> please
0: be reminded that once the show starts you yeah, turn it off Why did they look? What
1: the Was that- Is that Tyra Banks? It's, uh, Tony Braxton. I think she's like a Grammy-nominated- Or Grammy-winning R&B star. Oh, Tony- star. okay,
0: okay. What? <laughs> These are all like these are like a-list but like these are like a-list actors but like broadway actors yeah right <laughs> That's, what a weird choice what? is that a sombrero yeah what is going on
1: oogis 29 oogis 29 This Oogist. So. um, Why did they. Why does every character sound like they're from Brooklyn? (laughs) (laughs) So, what are your initial uh, thoughts on that trailer? I. It's. It's like. At least with most children's.
0: Like. Yes, children's shows and children's show marketing are famous for having, like, insane. Like. The commercials for Children's Show are famous for being insane and incomprehensible. Right. But it's like, at least you can tell what the plot is. Like right. You can tell what happens in it. Yeah. And what it's, what it, you can tell it's like, this is what we're teaching your kids. This is how we're entertaining them. Totally. You know, it's like, you get, you you see a commercial for the Wiggles, the Wiggles, you get what the Wiggles are about. Yeah. You totally. Know? It's like, oh, they're just some Australian guys that sing songs. That's yeah, you fine. get the shtick. Right. I have no idea what that what that was about. There was, like, a milkshake, milkshake store and flamenco dancing
1: and a giant flying sombrero. Honestly, like, every time I watched that, like, I, I don't remember, like, 75% of the minute video I just watched. I, the first thing that
0: stood out to me was the design of the actual characters, yeah. which look, they're like... It's like they have the proportions of babies, mm-hmm. but they have those like weird, like overly fatty arms. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like beyond it's like beyond sausage arms. Yeah. It's like they look
1: they look like unhealthfully obese. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of scary. Yeah. So my interpretation of it, the only way I can really describe it is this is like an alien's approximation of what they think children's entertainment is. Yeah. Like an alien from like. A very different like four-dimensional world came down watched nick jr for 30 minutes and said like this is this is what children's entertainment is and use their mind power to zap into existence (laughs) this movie and that's what it is (laughs) i'm i'm
0: legitimately having a hard time commenting on this because it is so bizarre it's like it's i'm trying to find a hook here but it's like it's it's just
1: fluid it's like, like it's like a weird jelly alien, or yeah. Something. The, the, I mean, just go look up the clips and trailers of this on YouTube. It's not something that's like, it's not like horrifying or, or so weird. It's just like you're just like slightly confused as like what am I looking the at? The
0: it, the way you described it is perfect. It's not, it's not like garish or scary yeah. or like uncanny valley or even just
1: like, it's it's utterly alien. Yeah, it's <laughs> like I can't relate to this yeah, at all. You this, can't. You have no, like, mental anchor for, like, what you can, like, think about in relation to this.
0: It's like, even
1: the humans didn't move or talk yeah. or act like humans. They didn't look, talk, or act like humans. Yeah, I think, like, every time they showed a human, it was, like, slightly sped up or slowed down yeah. or something. Okay, okay, that wasn't just me. Yeah. I legitimately <laughs>
0: thought they were, like, s- I was, like, are they speeding up the footage yeah. <laughs>
1: which is like something that's like that's what kids like randomly speeding up the footage like (laughs) that's how you keep them entertained
0: right and it's like
1: and why yeah well it's the same thing of like this, this this conceit that like children want to be commanded to dance and like now children shall be liberated children desire to be commanded yeah children desire to be commanded and they're just like waiting with bated breath to stand up and dance and they're just waiting for those animated (laughs) butterflies and when they start dancing as if every child is vibrating with energy and then every time the turtles walk by they say it's okay to sit back down as if they know the children are like please like where are those turtles like I'm getting tired we need a break like they've they've gotten down to like an exact science like children must stay like must dance for four minutes and then must have a five minute Break. <laughs> you. like
0: I'm imagining a child
1: writing a diary, like day four without the turtles. <laughs> we have not stopped dancing. Food is running low. <laughs> like manna from heaven, the turtles descended from the screen <laughs> and liberated me from the forced dancing. Um, okay, so um, I did a. I wrote a summary. Well, I just like condensed the Wikipedia summary of the plot of the Oogie Loves. And this is certainly not gonna help you understand what the Oogie loves are about, oh, but I'm gonna give a, a brief synopsis. So the Oogie Loves, three brightly colored characters named Gooby, Zuzi, and Toofy awake to prepare a surprise birthday party for their living pillow Schloofy. With the what? aid <laughs> there's a pillow that has a face. With the aid of a magical uh-huh. window, windy window, fish Ruffy and a vacuum cleaner named J. Edgar. What? Like Oh, like I get it. Like J. Edgar yeah. Hoover. Like J.
0: Edgar Hoover, the English word for
1: vacuums, whatever. Which, I mean, I guess parents are supposed to get that. And like, be like, oh, yeah, J. Oh, yeah. Edgar, like the... Like the war criminal. And also the vacuum, and they put it together. And... Right, yeah. All right. Um, is, so... the, is the vacuum also a violent, closeted homosexual? <laughs> I think the vacuum is just like a, a klutz. So, <laughs> the pl- like, the conflict of the movie is J. Edgar accidentally releases the five magical balloons they bought for Shloofy. That's where they keep the communists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the Oogie Loves set out to retrieve them. And so, basically, the, the rest of the movie is divided into five equal sections of them retrieving each of the five balloons. I see. Video game plot exactly. It's Exactly. Um, but there's no real obstacles. They just have to go to a place and get the balloon, and each time they go to a place, they meet a new celebrity who sings a song, and then they get the balloon and go to the next place. And then once they have all five balloons, they have the, like, magical birthday surprise party or whatever, and then it ends. Okay. (laughs) So, there's no conflict. It's just basically, I mean, like a video game, like just going to the next place, getting something, There's there's no obstacles. It's literally (laughs) just them, like, walking to a place. It's very, like, methodical. So... The film was envisioned and produced by Ken Weiselman, who is was the producing partner of the Teletubbies in the Western Hemisphere. Right, I saw that. They yeah.
0: showed that on the trailer.
1: Yeah, so he's this, like, he describes himself as a visionary. Oh, that's <laughs> It's always a red flag. <laughs> Already bad. You failed. So basically, he didn't create anything himself. He, he made his money taking um, British... Um, television shows like Teletubbies and Thomas the Tank Engine and licensing licensing uh, them for American oh. networks and merchandising. So, I see, like what
0: Simon Cowell did with the original uh, uh,
1: American, American Idol. Idol. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Just come over here, <laughs> yeah.
0: steal some, find some American <laughs> talent, and then steal them for his record company. Exactly.
1: So, Weisselman, here's another red flag I saw, he has no children.
0: Oh, he has God. no
1: <laughs> reference point for how to raise a child, what children like. Um, His backstory... So so this this is a guy who
0: has made a career on doing nothing but stealing children's shows and sending them over to the U.S., and none of which he has been involved in creatively at all. Yeah. And he has no kids, which means his only interaction with children is probably, like, you know, annoying annoying children at, like, the subway that he eats at or whatever.
1: He observes children from a distance... And it has decided to pour $60 million into this revolutionary concept in children's entertainment. Uh, it's just, visionaries don't call themselves visionaries. No. yeah. <laughs> so, um, when he was um, licensing the Teletubbies, when he was still doing that, um, Weiselman claims that he and Teletubbies creator and Wood had multiple disputes with each other because Wood <laughs> refused to let Weiselman pursue a yeah. film adaptation of the Teletubbies. So, it's already another thing showing that, like, Weiselman is trying whatever he can to make money, and we'll, we'll have, like, arguments with the show's creators if they don't, like, bend to his whim, right. and let him just scale this thing to whatever proportions he think will make him the most money. Right. Ugh. So, basically, he fell out with Teletubbies. He stopped doing that. And then, a momentous moment in Ken Weisselman's life. Ken Weiselman was at the theater seeing the movie, movie *Medea Goes to Jail. Oh, what? (laughs) Where he saw how the other audience members would shout out advice to the characters on screen. He had this epiphany. He was inspired to create a children's film in the vein of Teletubbies and the Rocky Horror Picture Show with the interactive film aspect, which would allow children to sing, dance, and respond to the characters on screen. I...
0: I... Okay like w- rich idiots that think they have a good idea is like the bread and butter of this podcast. Yeah. It's like it's like yeah. why we started this podcast. Yeah. But, <laughs> but But <laughs> <laughs> just the whole concept of a children like it's a mix between a children's... Sh- it's it's a mix between Medea Goes to Jail and Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. for kids. Yeah, and the Teletubbies. That is... Unda- that is literally the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I... Yeah. Especially in film. Yeah. That is the worst yeah. idea. Like... Do- <laughs> Both of us combined have like 12 years Of film education We've heard terrible film ideas That is without a doubt The worst
1: idea for a movie I have ever fucking heard Exactly. well especially the way he goes about it where he's like he acts as if he, as if he's like struck by a bolt of lightning and this idea came to him like in probably like a like a crappy theater just the fact
0: like, that <laughs> he was sitting in a movie theater and watching Medea goes to jail for
1: fun yeah alone. <laughs> I, alone and he's like that's how can I make money off of this that's
0: almost worse yeah
1: <laughs> exactly this like 50 year old unmarried man with no children watching Medea goes to jail and having the audacity to be like I can bring the new revolution in children's entertainment like, Who's, who's, <laughs> he's
0: just sitting there watching Medea goes to jail and hearing all these idiots yeah. like shout <laughs> advice at Medea yeah. who can't hear them just the idea of this 55 year old unmarried idiot yeah. sitting there and watching that and, and like busting his yeah. gut laughing like slapping his yeah. knees like yeah. an
1: idiot just like <laughs> After getting fired from licensing the Teletubbies because he tried to like go against the wishes of the Teletubbies creator and like scale the scale it into a film adaptation,
0: right? This guy is watching Medea goes to jail and is like, and he's like, I've got it, I've got the greatest. Idea. Like on top of all of this, this is a man who is reviled by the producers of children's, <laughs> yeah. children's
1: media, who had a falling out with the producers of Teletubbies so um oh what an asshole (laughs) i love this guy he's he's terrible he's a great character um so weiselman felt that the idea of interactivity isn't new but the idea of interactivity in a theater is which it's not it's yeah it's not (laughs) because the whole point of him getting this idea was seeing other films do it right um so weiselman's idea was to create a two-way entertainment experience which he believes had been lacking in the children's space, which is, no, it hasn't, because look at Dora the Explorer. Right, like, Dora the Explorer has been doing this for 20
0: years. Literally 80% of children's programming does this. Yeah. And maybe he would know that if he, like,
1: had kids yeah. or, like, knew anything about the shows that he was producing. Well, God his inspiration from anything other than Medea Goes to Jail. Medea Goes to Jail! <laughs> and the Rocky Horror... So he said, I've never understood why they only have things like the Rocky Horror Picture Show for adults. I mean Oh uh, yeah Yeah <laughs> Really? Yeah. Really? You you, watched, you
0: sat down and watched Rocky Horror Picture Show And you're like Man, why don't kids like this? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean A place where you can call out And interact with the entertainment You're not interacting with it You yeah. are yelling at people That can't hear you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He probably thought Medea could hear you He was like How do they How do they do this? What's the technology? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he saw other people In the theater Yelling yeah. at Medea And he was like holy shit, Mattia can hear that. (laughs) How do I do this? Um, Weisselman also wanted to improve upon the Pixar and DreamWorks formula for the children's Uh, market. You're going to one-up Disney and Pixar? Yeah, go ahead. So he said about Pixar, um, why can't we have something that's all love, where we don't even have the color black? Pixar always has the triumph of good over evil, but why does there have to be evil in the first place? What? (laughs) what uh, what? Which what was th- what was that thing about not having the color <laughs> yeah, black yeah <laughs> he just threw that in there which i think means it's like he associates the color black with like evil which doesn't what? make sense things cast shadows yeah <laughs> right um i genuinely don't know what to make of this yeah it doesn't make any sense so i think he was trying to say like children like children love pixar films but they love them even more if there was no villains, no conflict, no stakes, which is like, if you study any storytelling or anything, even for children's movies, that's what makes a good movie. Right. <laughs> Look at why fucking Darth Vader is so popular. Yeah. He's awesome. Right. Look at why children, like, under the age of 13 love Marvel movies more than most children's films. Right. Because they love the stakes and the conflict and the Thanos is going to kill everybody. And right. like, how do we kill Thanos? Right. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You have,
0: like... It's not a story if there's no conflict. Totally. It's not a story if there's no change.
1: Like. Otherwise, it's just a toy. Right. (laughs) So, I. I, Just. The idea of. It just kind of, like, sickens me. The idea of, like, wanting to make, like. Like, he thinks he can make something better than, like you know, like Toy Story, by removing the the conflict of them trying to get back to Andy. It's like, what if they were with Andy the whole time? Right. It's like, no, then it would, no one would like the movie. Right. No, it's not, that's not a good movie. Um, Vi- Weiselman, not surprisingly, also has strong, other strong opinions about youth entertainment. Oh, boy. He believes that 3D movies are a disastrous idea for children who are more likely to take off the glasses and throw them than to use them to watch a film. Kids want to be free, Weiselman said, and that's what our movie allows them to do. By giving them commands. <laughs> it's, it's just this, this idea of, like, assuming what children like based on no market research, no experience with children yourself, no focus groups, like, nothing. Literally just the, his passing conception
0: of yeah. children, which, based on that comment about, like, throwing the glasses, yeah, it's... His conception of children seems to be as like easily spookable Capuchin
1: monkeys, yeah, or like
0: yeah. some sort of goblin that doesn't
1: know what technology is. He like, probably like went to see like Spy Kids three with his like nieces and nephews once, and he saw children like three rows back, like a child three rows back, like throw his three D glasses. Like that's what all children do. Right. They hate this. Look at this child. Look at this weird little goblinoid. If I told him what to do. If I had animated turtles commanding the child, he would no longer be distressed. This
0: is this is the exact same impulse as like as like people on Facebook that see a kid doing something shitty and that are like, if I was its parent, yeah. I would beat it. <laughs> right. Then <laughs> it would shape up. Yeah.
1: It's like, like someone don't have just kids. assuming what children how children act. <laughs> so Weiselman and his many investors, including a Michigan real estate developer, So he got, like, a bunch of random people to invest in this movie. Right, it just sounds like his buddies or whatever. Yeah, I mean, his rich buddies were able to raise $60 million, um, made huge spends on broadcast and billboard advertising, hence the, like, 100-foot Toys R Us billboard. It it sounds like he's an ad guy. Yeah. Like, it sounds like his
0: major strength is that he's an ad guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, he seems like he, he knows about, like, licensing and advertising. I mean, that's how he made his money. Right. He's never created any movies. Right. Um... So another thing they did was spend a ton of money courting mommy blogs to promote this movie. So it's basically like telling these mommy blogs, like to tell your other mom, like mom friends to take your children to this movie, which is just weird. Um, The whole
0: concept of mommy blogs creeps me
1: out, man. Yeah. Of course. But of course, like Ken Weiselman would be like, this is our key to get people in the door. This is our end. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get the moms The future of advertising. I mean, when is the last time you heard about like a mommy blog having like <laughs> power? <laughs> power to like, yeah, to like promote a movie. Mommy blogs do not have power, no. and they should not have yeah. power. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so the film was released in August of 2012, and unsurprisingly, it was very poorly reviewed. Um, I can only imagine what that was like. <laughs> yeah. um, so the film has a 27 percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes oh. and a 32 percent on Metacritic. Um, Like, higher than I expected? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes they just give it a break because it's like a film for three-year-olds. But still, even for a film for three-year-olds, 27% is not very good. Right, yeah. Um, The critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says, Although it may serve as a passing diversion for very young viewers, the Oogie Loves fails to offer much more than several brightly colored examples of the worst stereotypes of modern children's entertainment. Uh, Lauren King of the Boston Globe, consider that Oogie loves to be a dumbed-down mashup of the least creative parts of the Teletubbies, Barney and Friends, and Pee-wee's Playhouse, which preschoolers would enjoy due to its interactivity, but be, would be a waste of time for parents in a world where Sesame Street is on TV every single day.
0: Wow, just nail on the head yeah. right there. That's exactly what that was. Exactly. It's it like... is like it is the worst elements of several famous children's programs mashed together in a completely <laughs> garish
1: and useless way. It's almost like a man who has worked in children's entertainment for 20 years but never on the creative side made a children's <laughs> movie. Ugh. And it's like, of course, he latches on to all the worst possible things. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is what kids love. Excuse me, I have to call oh, all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Olson of the L.A. Times criticized the Oogie Loves for being a prefab construction meant to appear, meant to appear like a beloved set of characters, and for being so ineffectual and disengaging that it may be better to call it just plain dumb. Um, Ugh, it, it's it's like it's worse than that. though. Yeah. It's just like it's like skeevy. Yeah. Totally. I mean, if you look into the back, it's just like a weird marketing scheme basically but also like someone who has the audacity to say like this is what children will love right (laughs) we're gonna blow pixar and disney out of the water (laughs) amateurs so a.o scott of the new york times basically interviewed his seven-year-old uh daughter um i I, I (laughs) love when journalists do this it's (laughs) so good to get her opinion of the movie and basically um the seven-year-old said that she thinks this movie is for babies, and she observed, uh, among other things, that none of the children in the audience of the theater were paying attention to the film, and that the toddlers they brought to the movie fell asleep halfway through. So, even for the three-year-olds, they were not interested in this movie. I- seven-year-old girls are
0: brutal in their accuracy. (laughs) Just like, this is a film for babies, no one was paying attention, and all the toddlers fell asleep. Zero out of ten would not watch
1: again. Did you ever watch that show The Toy Box? No. It was like, it was kind of like similar to Shark Tank, but instead of, it was like, toy inventors would bring their idea to like a panel of seven-year-olds are you, are you fucking kidding me how have I not heard of this I don't think it's on anymore I think it ran for like two seasons or something but it was hilarious because these people who had been working for like 20 years on this like this thing they thought was like the next big thing in children's entertainment they bring it to these like three brutally honest seven-year-olds who like this is kind of dumb I didn't like it I I <laughs> love that so much it's hilarious um, <laughs> that's amazing so, yeah, another, um, Mark Olson of the LA Times said that at a recent press screening, the youngsters in the audience lost steam at a steady clip while watching this film, stopping with the standing and sitting after, like, the second time of seeing the animated Turtles. They did, they did the first one, like, yay, and then the second time, like, no. Wait, wait, how
0: how often did the butterflies and turtles show up?
1: Well, it's every time there's a new musical number, so five times. Okay, it's, okay, how long is the movie? It's, like, like, I think 80 minutes. 80 minutes? That's, like, once every 20 minutes, yeah. then. <laughs> the hell? No, that's 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 more than once every twenty minutes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he said that all the children in the audience were not, stopped paying attention and just started running rapidly up and down the aisles <laughs> halfway through because it's more fun than watching the movie. Totally, I think like, that's what kids like. Yes, kids want to stand up and be crazy and dance and stuff. But it's like not like. At a regular cadence, when it's not like a like a shift schedule, at, right. like, you can't at a factory. You can't turn them on and off. It's <laughs> you can't like play a bell. It's like it's sitting time now. Well, it's dancing time now. And basically, what what that first bow of butterflies
0: and turtles does is it. Is it shows every kid in the theater that it's okay to go rogue? Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Which is
1: every parent's worst nightmare, right.
0: especially if the theater is full of small children yeah. <laughs>
1: and dark, <laughs> and you're supposed to be corralling them. Totally. Like I remember, we went to see when like pro- when Ratatouille came out in 2007. My youngest brother he was like two and he was first crawling we took it we're like it's fine he'll like ratatouille like it's but like he was crawling up and down the aisles and (sighs) we eventually left because that's stressful right you don't want your kid like going rogue and running around the theater right (laughs) scrabbling (laughs) under seats and everything that's also like not safe right that's like a predator's like heaven right there and and, like very rude to the other people trying to watch ratatouille exactly um, so another, well, another one of my and, th- f- and this movie is just encouraging yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's one thing if you're in like a brightly lit like pen where you can right, see where yeah. all the children are and it's playing the laws <laughs> on like a giant screen. Right.
0: Th- this is a dark undergrowth. Yeah.
1: <laughs> with like disgusting like popcorn and candy on the floors and stuff. <laughs> Free snacks. Yeah. <laughs> Free things for children to put in their mouths Oh God! Um, another one of my favorite reviews is that Oogie Loves appears to be some sort of Frankenstein composed of the Teletubbies My Little Pony Dora the Explorer and a couple boatloads of acid the strong <gasps> stuff the strong <laughs> trust me I know acid yeah. and this is the strong stuff uh, the sheer what-the-fuck factor of this strange, strange franchise is utterly intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this sounds like a guy who knows what the strong stuff yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so, intoxicating. In addition to its poor reviews, it also did horrible at the box office. Um, it proved to be one of the least successful films ever released in at least 2,000 theaters. Um it opened at number 17 at the box office. Wow! <laughs> For a $60 million movie, oh, that's oh, horrible.
0: Opened at 17. Yeah, it
1: opened at 17, um, which was, which was on its opening day. It was. It was. It had a per theater average of forty seven dollars, which is a oh. per showing average of two people per theater. Oh no! <laughs> so there was no like rooms packed full of children. So you could have taken your child; they would have been perfectly oh, safe. Oh no! That's horrible. <laughs> um. So it was the lowest opening weekend of a film of two thousand and more theaters at the time. Um. So, following the film's horrendous opening weekend and just utter failure at the box office, Weiselman attributed the poor box office to the film's marketing, suggesting it would have been... Oh yeah, it was the marketing. (laughs) Here's the marketing (laughs) that did it. So he said that it would have been more successful if the TV spots had aired earlier. You know? (laughs) Uh,
0: that was it. That was it's that just was like
1: th- just the the inch you were missing. Like, man. It wasn't the airing like the airing schedule of the TV spots, dude. Like it was the utter failure of this movie this to guy is exist. Such an asshole. Yeah, he's I a love deluded him. and like self-important asshole. Oh, God. But, he, but if here's... we
0: if we had just aired the TV spots earlier,
1: it would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, oh my god um, He was however appreci- He said he was appreciative of the press, The negative press coverage Of the opening weekend, suggesting it would help In marketing its home media releases and Sequels of the film <laughs> I just want to send a shout out to all my Haters, that, yeah. uh, thanks for the free
0: press yeah. And uh, Oogie Loves 2 is coming out
1: In uh, July of 2020 So here's <laughs> a like quote um, He said after the film was released this was never about box office. <laughs> Straight up lie. Uh-huh, yeah. It was about exposure. It's about the brand. Yeah. We've now got the notoriety we were trying to get for weeks before the film opened. <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> sure. I, won't ta- I won't say we weren't disappointed. For our team and for the exhibitors who worked so hard and did a great job. But this, this wasn't made to win the Academy Award. It was made to get parents... To get up and dance with their kids. I know from talking with parents who did take their kids to see it. That they loved it. This fucking guy. Which is like one of his friends like took his kids like, oh, yeah, it was good. My friend Ted told (laughs) me... Which is his strategy for gathering market research? Is like his friend said one thing. He's right. Like, That's how all people feel.
0: And his his friend, who is probably one of the Michigan State yeah. like real estate developers, yeah, that like, invested I sunk in I twenty
1: million dollars in this film. Might as well take my kid right. this, to an empty screening of the Oogie Loves. I love shit like this because this is the equivalent of this is like corporate
0: cry typing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly.
1: I'm just so fucking depressed. I can't even Fuck you guys. Yeah. Yeah, and just like trying to like, like convince yourself that it wasn't a failure right that if you if you had just aired the TV spots <laughs> yes. an hour like, earlier this was the intention the whole time was we wanted to bomb at the box office yeah, we were trying to bomb at the box office you idiot <laughs> in the same interview Weiselman added that the production of a sequel was moving full steam ahead next month uh-huh. straight up lie uh-huh. there never was a sequel uh, in production and he still had high hopes for home video and merchandising revenue uh huh <laughs> so um <laughs> he's uh so he um due to the horrible like like turnout for this movie, um theaters started like canceling all showings after eleven AM. Wow. So that's bad. <laughs> but Ken Weiselman said in an interview, like, I feel positive about this. You know, doing a screening so early in the morning is kind of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But in the morning instead Again of midnight, with the Rocky he, Horror Picture <laughs> Show! Weird what obsession. The fuck? He just wants to be the Rocky Horror Picture Show Which is like Them reducing your screenings by 75% Does not make you like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and that's like, They don't
0: do that for the Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. You watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show late at night Exactly, You watch it at like midnight Because that's where all the goths are up yeah.
1: Um I, did this guy just go to see another Medea movie and think that it was Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, he probably doesn't know what the Rocky... He probably thought the Medea Goes to Jail was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. No
0: one on Earth likes both Medea Goes yeah. to Jail and the Rocky Horror Picture that, 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 Show. The Venn
1: diagram does not intersect it's, there. It's two circles. Yeah. They
0: do not intersect. Yeah. Nobody unironically goes to see Medea Goes to Jail and then goes to see
1: Rocky Horror Picture Show. That person does not exist. So in the same interview, he said... Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz can have flops. Why can't Zuzi? Uh, he <laughs> uses his own character as like instead of saying why can't I have a flop, he's like why can't Zuzi have a flop? He blames it on this fictional character, this fictional horrible character. He. He has them cha- He has them like living in his basement laboratory yeah. at home. They're We're not like, costumes. They're yeah, these yeah. weird like jelly homunculi. So to wrap up, uh, I'm just gonna wrap up with some more quotes from Weiselman because he has uh, the he has the best summary. That... I, I love this <laughs> yeah. guy. Every,
0: every word out of it's like this guy is like, oh man, this guy he's different yeah. than a lot of the other corporate idiots that we've had on this show. Yeah, it's like he's like he's a renegade yeah right he's doing his own thing it's like he even fucks up in his own unique way right it's like every word out of his mouth it's like i know that it's
1: gonna be bad but it's always just like like 20 degrees to the left
0: it's like ooh, you're keeping me on my toes right
1: there's always that suggestion like but just you wait like i've got something else up my sleeve right right (laughs) Um, So he said, look, it hurts your ego when you're one of the worst openings in the history or whatever it is. When you're one of the, quote, worst openings (laughs) in history. When you're the single worst opening for a film playing over 2,000 theaters or whatever they said. (laughs) But this was never about the box office. It was about creating entertainment kids could love which he didn't right. the movie bombed. Two people, on average, went to see it per showing. But
0: literally every, everything he says where it's like, it's not about the box office. Yeah. It's about children's entertainment or, like, dancing with your parents or whatever. Yeah. It's like, no one did either of yeah, those things.
1: Right. Yeah. You were a failure at that, there's too, There's no silver jackass. lining.
0: <laughs> there's no silver lining. There's no ulterior motive. You failed at literally every
1: yeah. single thing right. you set out to do. Yeah, there's no upside. Um... <laughs> He maintained that there is a genuine need for entertainment that is joyful and simple, and that he still felt proud of the Oogie Loves. We did something that had never been done before. We took on the studios at their own game. What? Which is... Well, that was never a factor of this. Right? Like, he was never, like, trying to challenge the studios or I think whatever. He, I think he thought he, he was. He probably thought it, but, like, he's, like, cycling through these, like these buyer remorse like remedies of like right. of like no it's like that's, that's exactly he's just cycling he's cycling deeper and yeah. deeper into the buyer's remorse. <laughs> well he's like no 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 it wasn't about the box office it was about creating children's entertainment it's like no 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 it was about generating negative press so we could set up for a sequel it's like no 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 it was about challenging the evil studios in their their you know like their iron boot on the neck of children's entertainment but, but in actuality it was about getting parents to
0: stand up and dance with their kids. Right. And the thing, it's like the iron boot on the necks of Children's Entertainment. It's like, bitch, you are the producer on like the two most popular
1: television shows, like children's television shows in the world right now. Exactly. Like you made a crap ton of money like working for giant children's conglomerates. You are the boot! (laughs) exactly. It was never like... Every like all the all the other producers you worked with hate you. (laughs) You are the boot. It's like look at your giant one hundred foot poster in Times Square for this movie. It's like you really see yourself as the underdog in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) It's just I worked
0: my way up from the ground. I pulled myself up with the boot up from my bootstraps with just sixty
1: million dollars. Oh my goodness. Oh and, my God! And getting your movie to play in two thousand theaters, like that's not an indie movie trying to take no. on. Like, oh my goodness! Oh God! Well, that's the story of the Oogie Loves and the Big
0: Balloon Adventure and the Big Balloon Adventure. See, Please. I thought it, I I thought it was going to be one big balloon, but turns out it was actually five small balloons. <laughs> it's, uh, it it's just reversing expectations. Rian Johnson. <laughs>
1: Just please, just please check out just at least the trailer and like there's clips of like the musical numbers. It's just like It's miraculous. Yeah No, I I watched it forty five minutes ago, I don't remember a single thing that
0: happened. It's insane. And
1: you like it's not enjoyable or like cringy or what it's just like you're you're seeing something, it's like, yeah, this is what I'm looking at. It's nothing. It's it's just completely neutral. (laughs) Right? It's like, okay, you know, it's how I talk about
0: the jello scale. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got positive 10 for for sincere enjoyment yeah. and negative 10 for ironic enjoyment. Yeah. You know, the the room is a negative 10 yeah. and Shawshank Redemption is a positive 10. Right? Yeah. Right? This is a perfect <laughs> yeah. zero. There is no there
1: are no redeeming qualities yeah. to this whatsoever. It is simply a waste of time. Right. <laughs> it's like looking at a lamp or something. You're just like <laughs> it's, you recognize that it's there.
0: It's it's, it's almost impressive that he managed to take something as garish and insane as children's media yeah. and turn it into something that just immediately slides out of your head. <laughs> yeah. it's like, that, like, that's like a, a, an art or a science or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's like the exact opposite of the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. It's like yeah. this is, it's like he has
1: simply created something that is so uninteresting to look at. <laughs> right. Well, it's like the Uncanny Valley is realistic to the point of horror, but like this is stylized to the point of like utter... Like, nothingness. Other banality. Yeah. It's like you stylize something so much until it's just, like, a block of foam that's moving. It's, it just becomes a Jackson Pollock painting. Yeah. It, there's just,
0: there's nothing. There's no form. It's just sort of color. And you yeah. look at it and go, huh,
1: huh, look at that. Like, I recognize that someone made this. Right. <laughs> this is a work of artifice. Yeah. <laughs> this was made. Boy, this sure is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So what do you got for us today?
0: So, I started this research. I wanted to look into Crystal Pepsi right okay. cuz this is a story that we've all heard before yeah right you know crystal pepsi is looked at as being this like the way i'm going to put this is that crystal pepsi is the most 90s thing to ever exist right like it's <laughs> i'm just going to i'm just going to jump in here because even the name crystal pepsi like reminds me of something in the 90s oh yeah well and one of the things that i found doing this research was it forms a great story okay this this is going to be a lot more interesting yeah. than i think you expect it to be <laughs> okay yeah i just, the soviet union gets involved <laughs> of course okay as in any good story <laughs> yes so <clears throat> from wikipedia this is from wikipedia since the introduction of plexiglass in the late 1930s, devices have been made with clear shells to expose the electromechanical components inside. At the 1993 New York World's Fair, a 1993 Pontiac Deluxe 6 engine with a clear plexiglass body was on display. So you could see all the stuff inside. That's cool. You know, it, I, there's a picture of it on Wikipedia. It's quite neat. Nice. <clears throat> Following the breakup of Bell system in the mid 80s, a surge of manufacturers began creating phones many of them transparent and having flashing neon lights when the phone rang. Up into the 90s, the trend continued with transparent watches, staplers, calculators, handheld gaming devices, most famously including the, N- the Nintendo Game Boy. However, plexiglass peaked in the 1960s and 70s, and the transparent shell devices fell out of fashion until the clear craze of the 80s. <laughs> the clear craze. I need more clear. Yeah, no, that it's a thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly it. It also sounds very 80s, 90s. Yes. This is like the the very beginning of the '90s. Mm, okay, the clear craze was equated with clarity and purity. Basically, mm-hmm. this started with the re, with Ivory Soap remade its formula, mm-hmm. right? So it was clear now. Yeah, um, that's cool. Which it was already associated with purity, so it's like it's even more pure. <laughs>
1: can't be germs in something clear. Yes, you, all you can, water s- is safe. Other clear colas had
0: already been released outside of Pepsi and Crystal Pepsi, was marketed as another caffeine-free, clear alternative to normal colas. Its marketing mm. slogan was, You've never seen a taste like this. <laughs> uh, I get it. The beer. <laughs> I get it, yeah. <laughs> uh, the beer industry also became involved. In August of 1992, Coors announced Zima, a clear carbonated malt beer in 1993. Miller released uh, Miller Clear, a clear variant of their beer, to mixed reviews. Mm. Gillette released versions of their deodorants and shaving creams in a clear gel form, which is still in use today. Mm. Basic, the impetus behind the clear craze was this... It, it sort of went hand-in-hand hand with a lot of the, the sort of New Age health movement yeah. of like no more, we don't want any dyes, we don't want any preservatives, no caffeine, no additives. Like, you... It's like, there was this sort of manufacturing movement to reduce additives, right? Right. Like impurities. Right. well, Well, specifically to like, consumers... We're like, oh, this is dyed? What color is it normally? Right. Right? It just makes you distrust a product, you know? Yeah,
1: which would make sense because most cola is brown or black. Right. And And it's dyed to be that color. Right. It's It's not
0: actually that color in real life.
1: Yeah, so I would assume that people are like, why does this have to be brown? Like, what are they adding to make it look... Right, right." which
0: originally, um, most cola was dyed brown to resemble tea,
1: Mm. right? Interesting.
0: Because that was, back when it was invented, it was competing with tea. Interesting. Right. Um, but one of the reasons that manufacturers latched onto the clear craze was um, uh, it's cheaper. You don't have to pay for dyes. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> if consumers want it and it's cheaper, there's you know. Yeah, no exactly. question. No, it was actually it was a very interesting like little blip in in product design history. Right.
1: Hmm.
0: Let's see. <clears throat> this brings us to. Crystal Pepsi is a soft drink made by PepsiCo It was first sold in Europe in the early 1990s The United States and Canada received it from 1992 to 1994 With brief re-releases through the mid-2010s It was briefly sold in the United Kingdom and Australia Crystal Pepsi is notable for a fanatical revival by the public decades later Leading to a corporate response with these re-releases right? hmm. People liked it, they yeah. wanted it back Nice. It was kind of fun Yeah. Doesn't taste any different, it's just clear But, but that's fun <laughs> Yeah, it's fun In its first year, Crystal Pepsi captured a full percentage point of U.S. soft drink sales, which is that's big. Yeah, right. Seriously, approximately four hundred and seventy-four million dollars—like an enormous amount of money. Right. The soft drink industry is enormous. Right. That is eight hundred Oogie Loves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Coca-Cola followed suit by launching Tab Clear (laughs) on December (laughs) on December fourteenth, nineteen (laughs) ninety-two. The company's previous clear cola had been a secret one-off made as a particular a particular political favor between Dwight D. Eisenhower and the Soviet Union in the 1940s to disguise the American beverage as vodka, so that the Soviet executives could drink it on TV. Oh, I see. So it you're was... not be seeing like being seen drinking like an American product. Mm-hmm. Well, because remember. One of the things that you have to remember going into this is that Coke was associated with, like, Coke was essential to the American identity. Right. Coke was America. Right. Right? Mm. It, uh, oh, and uh, this project was codenamed White Coke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a bomb. Right. It, or a drug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess, yeah, that's true. I was just, oh, uh, yeah, there is the drug that is named. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just imagine like a, a Soviet leader on TV, like chugging like the clear Coke, and then like is <laughs> and, like so like a like a Russian man at home is like it's okay, it's vodka. <laughs> it, it is vodka. It is Do not vodka. worry. <laughs> <laughs> I chug it too. <laughs> By late
0: 1993, Pepsi pulled the
1: drink off the market, and
0: the final batches were delivered to retailers during the first few months of 1994. So, like, only lasted about three years, mm. two three years. Mm. Pepsi returned several months later with a reformulated citrus cola uh, called Crystal from Pepsi, <laughs> but that
1: was short-lived. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Crystal from Pepsi. <laughs> you have to take the pause or else it not not copyrighted. Right. A large
0: marketing campaign was launched, for which the company invented the world's first photorealistic, computer-generated bus wrap printing. Mm. The first bus wrap <laughs> printing.
1: Impressive. And the world was never the same.
0: A series of television advertisements Featuring Van Halen's hit song Right now Premiered on national (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Again The most 90's thing
1: (laughs) Exactly (laughs) Uh,
0: Premiered on national television On January 31st of 1993 During Super Bowl 27
1: Ooh Right The best Super Bowl, I guess. (laughs) I don't know anything
0: about it. The commercial was parodied by Saturday Night Live with their Crystal Gravy commercial. (laughs) That's (laughs) funny. Full size sample bottles were distributed with the Sunday paper deliveries, such as the Boston Globe in Massachusetts. Mm, Yeah, that's cool. Well, they that's that's a thing that a lot of these companies do is they'll Mm. send like sample packages to a lot of Mm. like
1: you know anyone that has like a food review column, just like check out our drink. We'll give it to you for free, like in hopes that you'll write a review yeah. about it. Yum uh and that's yum with a an exclamation point. Oh, of course. Yum brands. Oh, yeah, I've heard of yum brands.
0: Yum brands <laughs> <laughs> Chairman David C. Novak is credited with introducing the Crystal Pepsi concept. In a December two thousand and seven interview he stated thus. It was a tremendous learning experience. I still think it's I still think it's the best idea I ever had and but the worst executed a lot of times as a leader you think they don't get it they don't see my vision people were saying we should stop and address some issues along the way and they were right it would have been nice if I'd made sure that the product tasted good once you have a great idea and you blow it you don't get a chance to resurrect it it's mm. like very down to earth yeah I mean, it's, it's like very logical reasonable <laughs> this brings up Novak who is to me, the perfect example of, like, what a business executive should be. Right. He's, like, okay. he's a really good business executive. Right. Which is fascinating. because him
1: rare on this show. Very
0: rare. <laughs> no, it's, like, a, a business executive who is genuinely good and passionate
1: at his job without
0: being a terrible
1: person. Right. And is able to, like, make statements that make sense and, like, summarize things well. Right. Right.
0: Uh, so, here, just a little background on him. Uh, Novak was born in Beeville, Texas uh, Beeville, Texas Beeville, Texas In 1952 His father was a government surveyor Marking latitudes and longitudes for nation's map makers uh, And would move the family to the next location about every three months By the time Novak was 12 He had lived in 32 trailer parks in 23 states mm. It's like not exactly the most stable upbringing. No, I mean I'm sure that, that d- developed him a lot. Yeah, Novak is co-founder, retired chairman, and chief executive officer of Yum Brands Inc. Uh, <laughs> to yell
1: it or else it's not copyrighted. <laughs>
0: he was the CEO from 1999 uh, to 2016. Oh. Which is a long time for a yeah. For I think a CEO. A C,
1: like the standard CEO turnover is like three to five years. Yeah, th-
0: like and th- even three is like a long right. time
1: because it's a job that like makes you want to like jump off a bridge. Right, I mean, it's a terrible <laughs> job. Yeah, um, but no, he he did this for like
0: seventeen years. Yeah um and he was reportedly very good at it like peop- right. like
1: not only did the other executives like him but the employees liked him one thing i've noticed with exe- like executives that stay that long is like usually they're like an exception like they're like mm-hmm. like a visionary and like that's why they stay for so long
0: it's somebody somebody who is genuinely passionate about doing good work outside of all the corporate bullshit totally and is like know? passionate about the product they sell yeah yeah uh, the company doubled the number of restaurants... Like... Blah, 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 blah. Oh, sorry. During Novak's tenure at Yum! Brands, the company doubled the number of restaurants from to 41,000
1: nationwide. Jeez. Yeah, I think Yum! owns, like, most restaurants. Like... Uh, Yum, Yum!
0: is basically the... Like, Yum! is now the sort of parent company of PepsiCo. Mm. They own most snack foods.
1: Okay, yeah, that's because I I know that name and I always see it like a division of Yum. Cuz I think like Nestlé is a division of Yum and like all uh, no, 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 no. Nestlé is separate. Okay. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, Nestlé Just like... like another giant umbrella like Oh uh, no,
0: um like all of all of Taco Bell and P- and like Domino's. No, that's no, Pizza Hut. That's, that's so. where I know it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's Pizza Hut and Taco Bell are all owned by Yum brands. Right, which is huge. It's it's massive. Market capitalization grew um, grew to almost 32 billion dollars wow. from just under four. Wow in a from, span
1: of uh, many years?
0: 20 years wow. basically like little under 20 years. But he took this company from four billion to 32 billion dollars. Right. yeah, that's crazy. right. Uh, it was an industry leader in return on invested capital. Hmm. Uh, Novak is founder and CEO. Of, oh, th- and this is from his bio. This is fun. <laughs> Novak is founder and CEO of Ogo Lead. <laughs> Um, a digital leadership training platform created to address the lack of leadership development in the workforce today. Mm. Ogo Lead teaches heartwiring heart TM and hardwiring TM leadership <laughs> skills through an online leadership development program, podcasts, blogs, and videos. Mm. Which I did some research into this. It's basically like it's basically like a program that trains. It's like. It's a program for people making the transition from like retail to mm-hmm. corporate. Okay. Right? It's like you're the you were the manager of your Taco Bell and now you want to get promoted up to like like an office job. Up to like an yeah. office job. It's like this like this Ogo stuff is, like, what you do. Mm. It's, like, they train you. Which would be very, like,
1: helpful for companies to, like, move their workforce up.
0: Right. Which soo- it, Now, it all sounds goofy, but when you actually read this stuff, the central philosophy is one of genuine meritocracy. Mm. Novak believes that the greatest tragedy of the world is that people are not recognized for their work, mm. and that one of his responsibilities as an executive is to ensure that the company he runs is a genuinely empathetic place to be. Wow. He uh, he defies conventional, conventional business wisdom... By believing that employees are not costs to be minimized, but appreciating assets that grow in value over time. Hmm. This philosophy would largely be discarded after his retirement, likely in the name of short-term profits. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he out, he's out the door, the it's, sharks it's are it's waiting. Like, literally, it's like literally what happened. It was like as soon as he left in 2007. Uh, as soon as he left in 2007. <laughs> of as, course. Like, the moment he left in two thousand and seven, it was like labor violation, labor <laughs> violation. Labor it was like it's um, but it just shows, it just goes to show you that it's like you can be a good CEO. Yeah, right. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's possible. It actually we is have a case possible. Study, yeah, it's like it's a case. It's yeah. it's a case study, but it's
1: like uh, it just proves to you that it's like it's like no, it's uh. it, it's rare, but it's possible. It's like you. It's just, you can't say it's impossible to be a, a CEO without being harsh and, you know, like... And, it's it's like, proof that it's a systemic problem totally. and not, like, an individual thing. It's not
0: like, oh, it's just the CEOs that are evil. It's like, right. no, it's the system that they exist in. Well
1: it's, it's like, proof, well, it's the thing I read that's, like, why it's so terrible to be a CEO. It's because you're put in this job with, like, literally, like, a hundred people yelling at you from the moment you start to... It's like, you are, like pressured so heavily to like maximize return on investment and and scale the business that you just become a machine. Right. And that's what happens.
0: No, you have you have hundreds of people hundreds if not thousands of people attempting to use you like a lever. Totally.
1: Like, yeah, and I think all have a, having opinions on how you should do your job and yelling at you if it's not scaling at a ridiculously nearly impossible rate. Right. Well, and part of it is this
0: guy Novak, he he basically like he went to like Louisiana State University and mm-hmm. got a degree in business. Right. It's like it wasn't necessarily that he was passionate about the company that he was running. Mm-hmm. He's just genuinely passionate about running a company. Right. He loves he loves running a company. He loves learning about running companies. Right. He like he's he is a man who dedicated his life to making sure that a corporate environment is a is a humane, kind place to work. Totally, and that that's. Great, right? Uh, I found an interview from him, and when asked about when asked about Elon Musk, uh, he said he's either going to take that company to the moon or he's going to blow up. (laughs) (laughs) Probably both. (laughs) Probably both. The revival in September of 2014, following a Facebook campaign by consumers, the Coca-Cola Company reintroduced the soft drink Surge, (laughs) leading to (laughs) 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 speculation.
1: There's actual electricity in there. (laughs)
0: Made with real electricity <laughs> It's just a potion that shocks you <laughs> yeah. I
1: love the taste
0: uh, Leading to speculation in the public Amongst media about the return Of Crystal Pepsi In March of 2015, an online campaign to bring back Crystal Pepsi began. The following month, a second and completely separate petition was led by an online competitive eating personality, Kevin Strahy, also known as the LA Beast, who made a 2013 viral video of himself drinking a 1990s vintage bottle of Crystal Pepsi and immediately vomiting it up. I think I've seen that. (laughs) You probably have, honestly. It's like, it's, it's gross as hell, but it's like he, so it's like I have this, I have this case of Crystal Pepsi. I'm gonna try it, and he like unscrews it, and he drinks it. Like it's a little flat. Tastes a little odd, but I wouldn't call it bad. And it goes on for like 90 minutes, and it's just <laughs> and it's like right on the table. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And you can't see anything cuz it's clear. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's mixed in with this turkey sandwich or whatever. <laughs> <That's> so gross. <laughs> <laughs> this generated
0: enough interest for a telephone and email campaign, yes. gathering around 37,000 change.org petition signatures. Oh, wow. Tens of thousands of Twitter, YouTube and Instagram tagged comments, 15 billboards erected around the Los Angeles area. not by companies, by people who wanted Crystal Pepsi back Right,
1: (laughs) billboards
0: (laughs) and a commitment to ride a mobile billboard truck at Pepsi headquarters in Purchase, New York with a gathering of supporters at a park nearby on June 15th and 16th in 2015 the interest (laughs) from this campaign was led to an official response by PepsiCo on June 8th of 2015 Mm -hmm. We've had customers ask us to bring back their favorite products before, we've but never with your level of enthusiasm and humor. We're lucky. We are lucky. Humor. Humor. Yeah. The guy throwing up? <laughs> yeah. That's <Right>? funny. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> I think I just peaked the audio. <laughs> it's okay. We're lucky to have a Pepsi super fan like you on our side. We definitely hear you and your followers, and we think you'll all be happy with what's in store. Stay tuned. <laughs> Big things are in store. Big things are in store. In November of 2015, Pepsi hinted on its Twitter page that the beverage would make a comeback. In December of 2015, Pepsi announced that fans of the drink could win one of the 13,000 six packs of the beverage by entering Ooh. a sweepstakes via a mobile application or online at PepsiPass.com. <laughs> Pepsi <laughs>
1: Pass. Pepsi <laughs> pass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> between December tenth and eleventh. Winners selected during the following week would receive the beverage in time for Christmas. Nice. On june third of twenty sixteen, Pepsi announced that the drink would make a second return, reaching Canadian stores on july eleventh, and American stores on august eighth of twenty sixteen. Unlike the original release in the nineteen nineties, the drink, as released in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, contained caffeine and sodium benzenate as a preservative. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't sticking true to the uh, its its origins in the clear craze. <laughs> Those purists. Those purists. Taste. Wait a second.
1: This isn't the same.
0: <laughs> in October of 2016, Pepsi re-released the drink in the United States again for a limited time, exclusively on Amazon.com through its. Prime Pantry service, mm. sold in eight packs. Nice. On November 1st, Pepsi announced that the drink would be making a third return for 2017. On July 19th, People magazine released an article stating that Crystal Pepsi would be back for what was cl- it was claiming as being the final time the drink would be re-released on August 14th and that the Crystal Pepsi-themed music festivals would be held at sure. baseball stadiums <laughs> around the U.S. with performers Busta Rhymes and
1: salt n Peppa. <laughs> and not Michael Jackson, unfortunately, he had passed on. He was no longer <laughs> able to R- peace. Pepsi. <laughs> Pepsi killed Michael Jackson. Spread the word.
0: <laughs> the drink was re-released in August 2018, so that was a lie. Once again being claimed as the last chance to purchase the drink. Unlike previous re-releases, which occurred in both the United States and Canada, the 2018 re-release was exclusive to the United States. In March of 2019, the drink was re-released in Canadian stores for a limited time. So, it would seem that the drink basically markets itself. So why was it never a mainstay of the Pepsi lineup? Hmm. To answer that question... We have to take a trip to the other side of this marketing war. Because a scant five years earlier, the Coca-Cola Corporation had created a product that changed the face of marketing forever. It's time to talk about New Coke. Oh, shit!
1: (laughs) This gets wild. (laughs) Now, New Coke, I think, is like... uh, Most people know about New Coke. Most, It's it is famous like everyone knows about new coke but there is so much here that people don't know about well i I think people have this like everyone knows about new coke but all they kind of know is like it was a failure they don't really know any details they just know people didn't like it so they changed it
0: yeah yeah we and we will go into like (laughs) (laughs) let's educate the masses let's (laughs) educate the masses. New Coke was the unofficial name for the reformulation of Coca-Cola introduced in April of 1985 by the Coca-Cola Company. In 1992, it was renamed Coke 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. So, this is 1985. Crystal Pepsi came out about 5 years later, mm-hmm. right? By 1985, Coca-Cola had been losing market share to diet soft drinks and non-cola beverages for many years, largely in part due to the PepsiCo stuff. Mm. Blind taste tests indicated that consumers seemed to prefer the sweeter taste of rival Pepsi-Cola, and so the Coca-Cola
1: recipe was reformulated. However... Blind taste tests, never a good thing to base a a brand change on. Nope. Uh, However, the American public's
0: reaction to the change was negative, to say the least. Yeah. And new Coke was considered a major failure. The company reintroduced Coke's original formula within three months. (laughs) Jeez. Rebranding After the riots Rebranded Coca-Cola Classic You are not far off <laughs> Resulting in a significant sales <laughs> oh, boost geez. This led to speculation uh, The speculation of the new Coke That the new Coke formula Had been a marketing ploy To stimulate sales of original Coca-Cola Which mm. the company denied Right Coke 2 was discontinued in July of 2002 Ah. Oh. Uh, it remains influential as a cautionary tale against tampering with a well-established and successful brand right Market analysts believed baby boomers were more likely to purchase diet drinks as they aged and and remained health and weight conscious. Growth in the full calorie segment would have would have to come from younger drinkers who. At the time, favored Pepsi by more, even more overwhelming margins. Mm. Meanwhile, the overall market for colas steadily declined in the 1980s mm. as consumers increasingly increasingly purchased diet and non cola soft drinks. Right, the whole like anti sugar, anti fat craze mm-hmm. of the 80s. Mm-hmm. That's where you got all the diet stuff. Yeah, many of which were sold by Coca Cola themselves. This trend continues further, eroded. Uh, this this trend continued. F- this trend further eroded Coca-Cola's market share.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, when Roberto Guizeta became Coca-Cola CEO in 1980, he told employees that there would be no sacred cows in how the company did business, including how it formulated its drinks. <laughs> Nothing is sacred. But think about this. This is, this is a new CEO in 1980 saying, like... We're going to change everything. Yeah. All that shit that's working and has been like a major American institution. The number gonna...
1: one brand in America for 50 like, years or
0: whatever. The, the, the number one brand in America since the invention of brands. Yeah. Like, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> throw it out the window. The first and best brand. <laughs> exactly. Literally. <laughs> that's not sacred. <laughs> Coca-Cola's senior executives
0: commissioned a secret project headed by then Mark marketing vice president Sergio zayman and Coca-Cola USA president then president Brian Dyson to create a new flavor for Coke. This research called Project Kansas took its name from a photo of Kansas journalist William Allen White drinking a Coke. The image has been used extensively in Coca-Cola advertising and is hung on several executives' walls. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Enter Sergio zayman Okay. If David Novak is Superman mm-hmm. Sergio Simon is Deadpool <laughs> where David Novak He's self-aware <laughs> where David Novak was a calm straightforward Mississippi good old boy Sergio Ziman is a brash, risk-taking, no-nonsense Mexican Jew with an <laughs> infamously fiery temper. Who, despite being known as the Enfant Terrible and the Ayacola of the marketing <laughs> world, remains to this day one of the most one of its most influential and prolific members. At this point in time, Sergio was already responsible for the wide-scale popularity of Diet Coke. Right. Mm. Basically, wow. the the major thing keeping uh, keeping Coca foat right now. Right, but the other like what this doesn't mention is that Sergio Zymon is basically responsible for why we call like low sugar, low fat stuff diet stuff. Mm. All like the whole diet whatever. Right, that's Sergio Zimon. Wow, it was all his idea. That's huge. No, he is Sergio Zymon is brilliant. Mm-hmm. no mistake can be made there. Right, I don't think he's the nicest person right. but he is like he is brilliant right incredibly influential yes um, he, he, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's considered the brainchild behind the diet naming scheme himself Sergio's style was always go big or go home mm. his aggressive hairbrained firebrand nature made him a gamble but in but in this case it also made him the right man for the job. Mm. While Zyman and Dyson's plan was to release Project Kansas as a new flavor alongside original Coke, management rejected the idea to make and sell the new flavor as a separate variety of Coca-Cola. The company's bottlers were already complaining about absorbing other recent additions into the product line since 1982. After the introduction of Diet Coke, Cherry Coke was launched nationally, nearly concurrently with New Coke during 1985. Mm. Many of them had sued over the company's syrup pricing policies, which, like the... Like what you were saying with the the anti-sugar stuff, yeah, a lot of that was because the regulations on uh, cane sugar had just mm. changed in a huge way right um, which meant that all the, a lot of these drinks were shifting over to corn syrup mm many of them sued over the company's syrup pricing policies. A new variety of Coke, in competition with the main variety, could also have cannibalized Coke sales and increased the Mm. proportion of Pepsi drinkers relative to Coke drinkers. Right. Which it did. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's how a Coke wants. Yeah. Uh, So, they kick this thing out, right? New Mm -hmm. Coke! It's better than Pepsi. Drink it. Uh, This massive section is called backlash. (laughs) Despite New Coke's acceptance with a large number of Coca-Cola drinkers, many more resented the change in the formula and were not shy about making that known.
1: <laughs> just, as, just as had happened, trolls.
0: Just as had happened in the focus groups, many of these drinkers were Southerners, some of whom considered Coca-Cola a fundamental part of their regional identity, which is right. still true to this day. Right. They viewed the company's decision to change the formula through the prism of the Civil War <laughs> as another surrender to the Yankees. Uh,
1: right. <laughs> These damn Yankees. These damn Yankees my changing my our Coke! <laughs>
0: company headquarters in Atlanta began receiving letters and telephone calls expressing anger or deep disappointment. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I'm just the disappointed. company received over 40,000 calls and letters in just one day. <laughs> oh no. 119 including one letter <laughs> delivered to Guizeta that is addressed to Chief Dodo, comma, <laughs> the Coca-Cola Company. <laughs> Another letter asked for his autograph as the signature of one of the dumbest executives in American business history would likely become valuable and would likely become more valuable in the future. The company hotline, 1-800-GET-COKE, <laughs> received over 1,500 calls a day compared to the around 400 before the change. Poor Doris and customer right? service.
1: I'm sorry sir It wasn't my idea
0: A psychiatrist Whom Coke had hired To listen in on calls Told executives That some of the people Sounded (laughs) as if they were Discussing the death Of a family member
1: (laughs) You changed new Coke I just love the fact
0: That they hired a psychiatrist Yeah (laughs) Just like These people are devastated. It is my professional medical opinion that these people are devastated. (laughs) They are genuinely mourning. (laughs) They were, nonetheless, joined by some voices from outside the region. Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green wrote some widely reprinted pieces ridiculing the new flavor and damning Coke's executives for having changed it. Comedians and talk show hosts, including Johnny Carson and David Letterman, made regular jokes mocking mocking the Switch. Mm. Ads for New Coke were booed heavily when they appeared on the scoreboard at the Houston Astrodome. Even Fidel Castro, a longtime Coca-Cola drinker, contributed to the backlash, calling New Coke a sign of American capitalist decadence. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, do you see how wide this goes like
1: (laughs) yeah i mean you forget that like a brand like coke has roots in every part of the world deep roots
0: uh, calling new coke a sign of american capitalist decadence Guizeta's father expressed similar misgivings to his son who later recalled that it was the only time his father had ever agreed with Castro whose rule
1: he had fled Cuba to avoid. We can agree on this father. Right? At least we know this new coke is terrible. <laughs> uh, but it's like I, I
0: love this I love this tiny little blip because it implies that Guiz, like that Guizeta was one of the counter-revolutionaries in the, Cuba, in the <laughs> yeah. Cuban revolution, like, which basically means that uh, CEO Guizeta owned slaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, no, his family definitely owned slaves. <laughs> Rich Cuban expatriates are sketchy
1: people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this is another interesting fact. Another interesting... Huh. Coca-Cola corporate history. Yeah. I love the fact that, like, Fidel
0: Castro chimes in like, yeah, this is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pepsi responds. Pepsi Cola took advantage of the situation, running ads in which a first-time Pepsi drinker exclaimed, Now I know why Coke did it. Even amidst consumer anger and several Pepsi ads mocking Coca-Cola's debacle, Pepsi actually gained very little long-term converts from over Coke switch. Despite a 14% sales increase over the month, uh, over the, uh, the same month and the previous year, mm-hmm. the largest sales growth in the company's history, Coca-Cola's, Coca-Cola's director of corporate communications, Carlton Curtis, realized over time that consumers were more upset about the withdrawal of the old formula than the taste of the new one. Right. Exactly. It's like don't fix what ain't broke,
1: you know. Yeah. It's like even if you replace it with something just as good, it's like no, you want the old stuff. Yeah. It's like that joke that I always saw when like the the female Ghostbusters came out. It's like it's really a shame that they're gonna erase the original Ghostbusters right. and you can't watch it anymore when they release right. the new one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> But they actually did that with Coke. Right. So like you couldn't buy original Coke. Right.
0: Yeah. No. They literally did that. It would. It would be like if the annoying, terrible new Ghostbusters <laughs> actually did go back and erase yeah. every copy. You cannot watch it. You can't get it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Roger Enrico, then director of Pepsi's North Americans operations, declared a company-wide holiday and took out a full-page ad in the New York Times proclaiming that Pepsi had won the long-running cola wars. <laughs> Since Coke the ofi- war is over! <laughs> c day. <Yeah. laughs> Since Coke officials were preoccupied over the weekend with uh, preparations for the announcement... Their Pepsi counterparts had time to cultivate skepticism among reporters, sounding themes that <laughs> would spreading seeds of doubt. I've literally no that they actually did that. It was like nice. a marketing strategy nice. for them, sounding themes that would later come into play in the public discourse over the changed drink. After the announcement on April on April twenty third, PepsiCo gave its employees the day off, saying, "By today's action, Coke has admitted that it is not the real thing," mm. <laughs> and the reversal. Yes. On the afternoon of July eleventh, nineteen eighty-five, which—that is six months later. This lasted right. six
1: months <laughs> of madness. All this, the like the Fidel Castro stuff, six months. <laughs> That's all it took. Right. Well, six months can be a uh, world-changing time. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. And this, like, I am not kidding. This literally changed the world. Right. On the afternoon, but we'll get into that later. Okay. Excellent. <sighs> on the afternoon of July 11th, 1985 Coca-Cola executives announced the return of the original formula 79 days after New Coke's introduction ABC News's Peter Jennings interrupted the general hospital With a special bulletin to share the news for its viewers <laughs> right. on, the, on the floor of the U.S. Senate David Pryor called the reintroduction A meaningful moment in U.S. history right. The company hotline received
1: 31,000 calls In the two days after the announcement Right, like an equivalent to like a president being shot or something. Yeah. Like, interrupting broadcast. L- Literally. Yeah.
0: Literally interrupting broadcast. Right. By the end of 1985, Coca-Cola Classic was substantially outselling both New Coke and Pepsi. Six months after the rollout, Coke sales had increased at more than twice the rate of Pepsis. Which begs the question, did they do this on purpose? Hmm. I know you mentioned that was a theory. The conspiracies. Oh, no. The Coca-Cola Company company's apparent, sudden reversal on the new Coke led to conspiracy theories, including it provided cover for the final remover of all cocoa derivatives from the product uh, to placate the Drug Enforcement Administration, which was trying to eradicate the plant worldwide to combat an increase in cocaine trafficking Mm. and consumption. Mm. While new Coke's executives were indeed relieved with the new formula contained no coca and concerned about the long-term future of the Peruvian, Peruvian government-owned coca fields that it supplied that supplied it in the face of increasing DEA pressure to end cultivation of the crop. According to Mark Pendegrast, there was no direct pressure from the DEA on Coca-Cola to do this, right? So they yeah. weren't actually putting pressure on them. Yeah. This theory was endorsed by a Time News article, as well as by historian Bart, uh, Bartow Bart Elmore... Uh, who claimed that the the reformulation was made in response to an escalating war on drugs administration, uh, war on drugs ruling by the Reagan administration, right. um, which that's probably it. It's like they were they were tightening the restrictions on like anything even remotely close to drug products, which is right. why you don't see like hemp plastics or anything. Right. Okay. Another another uh, another conspiracy. The punitive switch was planned all along to cover the change from sugar-sweetened Coke to much less expensive high-fructose corn syrup, mm. a theory that was supposedly given credence by the apparently different taste of Coke Classic when it first hit the market. Mm. The U.S. Sugar Trade Association took out a full-page ad lambasting Coke for using HFCS in all of ...in all bottling of the old formula when it was reintroduced. Mm. In fact, Coca-Cola began allowing bottlers to remove up to half of the product's cane sugar as early as 1980. Mm. So they had been changing it before this. Right. By the time the new formula was reintroduced, most bottlers had already sweetened Coca-Cola entirely with Mm. HFCS. Right. Another one. The companies intentionally changed the formula, hoping hoping consumers would be upset with the company... ...and demand the original formula to return which in turn, would cause sales to spike, uh, which makes sense, Right. Uh, Keog, the, uh, the spokesman for Coke, answered this speculation by saying, "We're not that dumb and we're not that smart." Yeah. In the late 1990s, Simon summed up the new Coke experience thus: Yes, it infuriated the public, cost us a ton of money, and lasted for only 77 days before we reintroduced Coca-Cola classic. Hmm. Still. New Coke was a success because it revitalized the brand and reattached the public to Coke.
1: Right. So, I mean, that that conspiracy theory, even if it wasn't, like, a premeditated thing, made, like, it ended up helping which Coke.
0: Is, which is a lot. That's, like, 80% of conspiracy theories. Right. Honestly. Yeah. What? Could, so what can we learn from this? This cautionary tale about trying to fix something that isn't broken, mm-hmm. needlessly changing things about an established brand. Yeah. Is it simply the nature of brands and business that the Pepsi Corporation would repeat this same mistake five years later, Mm -hmm. is this refusal to learn, this hubris, is this what killed Crystal Pepsi? Mm. Now this quote is the heart of our story, because what Sergio Simon learned from New Coke was what kills a brand. Mm. It's my theory that Crystal Pepsi did not die, it was murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And someone is responsible! Tokubetsu Kogekitai, translated to Special Attack Unit, but better known as Kamikaze, yeah. were part of the Japanese Special Attack Units of military <laughs> aviators who initiated suicide attacks for the Empire of Japan against Allied naval vessels in the closing stages of the Pacific War. Yes. Tab Clear was a variation of Tab. It is Coca-Cola's contribution to the short-lived Clear Cola movement during the 1990s. It was introduced in the United States on December 14, 1992. In the United States, in the United Kingdom a month later, and in Japan, March 1993. To initially positive results. Tab Clear was, however, discontinued after only a short time of marketing in 1994. Unlike most other Clear soft drinks, Tab Clear contained caffeine, and according to the company, had the flavor of cola. Hmm. In late December of 1992, Coca-Cola company president Doug Ivester told a gathering of New York reporters that Tab Clear was being positioned as part of the mainstream diet of soft drinks, and was not a New Age beverage, he declared. (laughs) He said this without prompting. (laughs) No one asked him. Right. He just sort of said that.
1: We didn't, uh...
0: Say that. Just remember, Tab Clear is not some sort of hippie New Age beverage. Oh,
1: we we didn't think... Is it? It's not.
0: (laughs) Is it? Consumers want an alternative new soft drink with a lot of flavor. A New Age label would doom it. It would be aiming too low to go up against Crystal Pepsi and Clearly Canadian. After positive consumer response in its initial 10 markets, it was announced on February 17th of 1993 that Tab Clear would be introduced into an additional 20 American markets to a coming March, increasing the drink's availability to 35% of the American population. Uh, Tab Clear was available nationwide by the end of the year, Hmm. right? So this is basically like, like one year after they introduced Crystal Pepsi, right? Right. Despite the positive results, an article published in March. uh, Despite the positive results, an article published in March that year reported one oddity about the new Tab Clear is it's sold in cans. Hmm. You would think that would eliminate one of the pop's strongest selling points.
1: (laughs) It's clearness. It's clear, we swear. (laughs) In
0: his 2011 book, Killing Giants 10 Strategies to Topple the Goliath in Your Industry, Stephen Denny published an interview with former Coca-Cola Chief Marketing Officer Sergio Zimon. <laughs> that stated that the formation and subsequent failure of Tab Clear was a deliberate move to destroy Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> Capitalizing on the public's <laughs> lack of... So in- he admitted this. Yeah, he <laughs> flat out said this, like 10 years later. Capitalizing on the public's lack of understanding of Pepsi's heavily marketed product... Tab Clear was marketed as a diet drink, which were less popular than traditional colas, and the Tab brand in general was seen as inf- as an inferior product to flagships like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Like right. Tab is just the shitty store brand Coca-Cola, right. you know. With Tab Clear being placed in such close proximity to Crystal Pepsi, the image <laughs> of both brands would be damaged in what Zyman called a kamikaze strategy. <laughs> This is like cola, Zyman explained, but it doesn't have any color, but it has all this great taste, and we said, no. (laughs) Crystal Pepsi is actually a diet drink, even though it wasn't, because Tab had the attributes of diet, which was its demise. That was the problem. It was perceived to be a medicinal drink. Within three or five months, Tab Clear was dead, and so was
1: Crystal (laughs) Pepsi. Oh, jeez. They sent, like, soldiers in to, to, like, blow themselves up and kill... They
0: they created an entire
1: suicide brand. (laughs) An entire suicide brand. Suicide cola. (laughs) Literally. It's delicious. It's delicious. That's hilarious, because it's like, why does it need to be in cans if it's clear it's like it's not about selling the product you dummy (laughs) it's about sending a message (laughs) but I love that it's like they
0: intentionally made it really shitty and dumb and (laughs) like and like that thing about the coke executives talking about like it's not a diet medicinal drink it's like he intentionally said that without prompting to confuse people to make the branding of tab clear more weird brilliant war strategies (laughs) It is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like you, you see what I mean about Sergio Simon yeah, right. being like he's a, a renegade he's genius. He's a renegade and a gamble, but the right man for the job. Yeah. <laughs> You're a little afraid of him, but you have a hell of a lot of respect. That, that is how literally everyone describes Sergio <laughs> Simon. There's so many there's so many quotes about him being like I don't like talking to him for more than 10 minutes, but the guy is a savant. Right. <laughs> a healthy mixture of fear and awe.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs>
0: And it's like, if you look up a picture of him, he's got that, it's like, he's got that kind of (laughs) like, he's got this kind of like, low, he's got this weird kind of like, low emotionless gaze, Yeah. but his eyes are like, kind of crazy looking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he's thinking about which suicide cola he's going to create next. Right, right, but it's like, (laughs) imagine being the CEO of Coke and being like, we need more market dominance. Yeah. It's like, somebody go let Sergio out of his cage. (laughs) And then it's just like, it's like, shouldn't we be getting reports or something from him? It's like, no, you just let Sergio work. Don't touch him. And then later it's like, Crystal Pepsi, dead. Whole market
1: niche, destroyed. Sergio Simon is like, I did it, boss. (laughs) And gets his cookie. (laughs) (laughs) And then trick him back into his cage. Get the cookie. Get the (laughs) cookie. Like... But it's like, think about how brilliant that
0: is. Yeah. yeah the yeah. whole concept of like, like, he took what he had was like they had the tab brand, which is already considered like subpar, right? And they're like, we got to play this up specifically so that we can like, like make it tackle Crystal Pepsi and yeah. then detonate its yeah. bomb collar. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Jeez. It's like, That's... That is
0: ingenious. Yeah. Like literally. And part of the reason I love this story is that it's nothing but, like, like what is almost... It's, like, corporate tactics, but it's, like, it's corporations fucking with other corporations. Yeah, so right. there's, like, no one's getting hurt here. Yeah, it's totally.
1: Just, it's Sergio Simon being an absolute bastard to right. the Pepsi Corporation. The only casualties are cans of clear cola. Right. <laughs> the only casualties are clear, cans of clear cola. So should I say that five Ooh, times yeah. fast? The only casualties are cans of clear cola. Ooh, that is hard. Yeah. <laughs> It's the tongue twister of the week. We do one every week. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do one every episode. That, that's a lie. Evan is lying. <laughs> it's okay to lie sometimes. All right. So that basically wraps up. Yeah. That was a really fun episode. Uh, both stories were, as usual, very weird and ridiculous <laughs> and unique ways. <laughs> the Oogie Loves and New Coke. New Coke. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, if you uh, enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review on, on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Um, on, if you're listening on SoundCloud, like and subscribe there. Um, just get the word out. Yeah. We're having a lot of fun making this show. So. Yeah, and we
0: want to continue making it. Just yeah. pull, pull up the podcast on your phone and plug it into the Bluetooth at Target
1: and yeah. force everyone to listen to it. If an employee gets near you, kick him in the shins really hard Right, and run. <laughs> leave your phone there. <laughs> It's a sacrifice for yeah. our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll You're doing fit. this for us. We'll thank you silently in the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay. thank you for listening. And we love you. We love you. <laughs>